Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. When I was 16 years old, my fondest dream was to get into the family car, drive away, and never see my parents again. It was also one of my greatest fears because I knew even then how much their love and approval meant to me. When it comes to the push and the pull of the parent-child relationship, though, I have simply got to yield to today's storyteller, Arnie Reisman. Arnie Reisman was an only child, and not just of two parents. He had four. We call his morning story, Shadowed. I was asked by a young girl to be her escort for this junior debutante ball at the Denver Country Club. It was spring. I'm 16. I have my father's car for the first time. My parents, you know, waving at the edge of the driveway to make sure I wasn't going to hit a tree or something. (laughs) As I went out to pick up my friends David Carr and Johnny Brinkman and their Debs, and it's it's dark, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the evening, and David says to me, Arnie, uh, we're being followed. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and, and there behind me is this Buick Special without its lights on, driven by my uncle. Next to him, my aunt, and sitting in the back, my parents, all hunched over, thinking that no one would see them because they had their lights off. I just, I just, I, I mean, don't, how could they do this to me? Don't they remember being 16? (laughs) Don't they remember the first time, you know, of being in a car without an adult and what that means? How dare they do this to me? (laughs) We made it all the way to the ball, steam coming out of my ears. Okay, I'll deal with my parents and my aunt and uncle later, and now I must get on with the evening at hand. Thank God. Thank God. About halfway through the cotillion, Dave comes up to me and says, uh, your parents are in the uh, parking lot in the car. They have the lights on, and your uncle's dealing cards. I think it's Canasta. They were out there. What am I going to do? They have now taken my one chance to prove that I can go out in the evening, all dressed up, with the family car, not get killed. How am I going to deal with this? (sighs) This is going to be one of those nights, right? (laughs) We get into the car, and I start my father's car up and turn my headlights on. And as we crossed into the street, out of the parking lot, directly behind me, there was that Buick special. My uncle, my aunt, my mother, my father, in the rearview mirror. So I floored it. I mean, we're in a residential area. There's stop signs everywhere. (laughs) We're going around one block, around another block. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. They're still behind me. And now we're going in the car, and they're like, go, go for it, Arnie. Floor it. Lose them. Lose them. <laughs> and so I go around another block. I go around another block. And all of a sudden, within about three blocks, boom. They're gone. They're just, they just vanished. There was this local hotel. And off we went to have coffee. How dare they do this to me? I'll have to deal with this in the morning. I'll just sit down at breakfast table and sign divorce papers. (laughs) One o'clock in the morning, I get home, and there were my parents, uh, way past their bedtime, still dressed, and I just exploded. How could you do this to me? How could you follow me like this? How could you not have any faith? You embarrassed me in front of all my friends. 
Can you imagine what this must do to me? Why are you still standing here with your clothes on? Did you think I was just going to like be lying in the street, or did you have to go jump right back in a car again? And they went, we 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 got arrested. You got arrested. Your uncle was pulled over by a police officer for driving without his lights on. You gotta be kidding. Your uncle couldn't prove it was his car, so we had to call your other uncle and send him over to the house to go get the car registration and bail us all out. My mother was very close to her sister, and her sister, my aunt, and her husband never had children. So I'm an only child, basically with four parents. And it is ironic that um, here am I, later in life, having never had children. Uh, I th it's possible that one of the reasons I had never had children is that I would be just like my mother or my father, a worrywart, uh, an overprotector, uh, someone who has got to be there at all times to make sure that no one is going to do harm to my baby. I certainly act that way to my dog, <laughs> so I would probably have acted that way with a child. But I can look back now on this whole experience and never feel the anger the humiliation that I say I felt at 16. All the mothering and fathering I got growing up, it certainly didn't do me any harm. And I bless them for that. I understand it now. I understand why it was done. I understand it was done with love and it was done with concern. But it was really done with this strong sense of family. and. Um, I miss it. I really miss it. Arnie Reisman, my friend. <laughs> Still recovering from today's morning story, Shadowed. I'm here with Gary Mott. I was newly 16. I had my license, San Antonio, Texas. Right. Coming home from a party. Yeah. In my dad's 1964 Chevy Impala. And all of a sudden, there's this wall of light behind me. So my mind starts reeling back to driver's ed. And I think, well, I got to get out of the way for the ambulance. Never mind that we're not headed towards the hospital, right? <laughs> I change lanes. The wall of light follows me. I change lanes again. The wall of light follows me again. We're approaching my street, and I said, boy, I really got to get out of the way. <laughs> I have got to get out of the way of the wall of light. So I fishtail a right-hand turn, and I scream down my street, that's when I realized the wall of light was not an ambulance. I was 16. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know anything. Right. These things take a little experience. <laughs> I, I, ho I hope that my children can get stopped early in their driving careers, mm -hmm. get stopped by a police officer. or so. I think it's a good lesson. It's a good life lesson. Well, you know, the other thing I've learned about 16, when you have a child who's 16, 
don't tell that child what you were like when you were 16. <laughs> that is the wrong age for them to hear that. Uh, you know this from experience, yes? <laughs> I do indeed. Because yeah. you're, you're capable at that age basically only hearing whatever serves your purposes. Oh, I see. Filtered hearing. <laughs> I see. Anyway, I've, I've, I have been a, a passenger of Arnie's many, many times. And I, I assure you that other than the fact that he's constantly looking in the rearview mirror, <laughs> he's a very, very safe driver. And I am thankful for anybody who drives defensively. We're also thankful, as you know, to Ipswich for supporting us, and also to you. Uh, we have been asking you for contributions, and a number of you have responded. We really wanted to thank you personally. So uh, we got a list of some of the people who've sent in contributions, and we gave a call to one of them, uh, Cindy McCullough. Hello, Cindy. Cindy, hi, it's Tony Khan. I apologize for calling you late. You're in Virginia, right? I am, and I've had it with you. Hey, listen, hold on one second. Let me turn my radio down, okay? <laughs> hold on. <laughs> yeah, you've had it with me. Well, I have. This well, we're still enough. we're still keeping your money, okay? All right. <laughs> but you are one of the first people who did respond to our appeal. Morning stories for me, it's that level of importance because it just brings me such joy. It really does. Oh. You know, I, I'm a consultant, so I can work at home alone. Mm -hmm. And just listening to things that open up the world and, and make you feel less alone, it's very comforting. And so for me, if Morning Stories wasn't around, it would affect my life and it would matter to me. So I mean it. Oh, and you know what? You're very classy about it. One thing about NPR that would bug me is, you know, they feel like it's my, my Catholic aunt hammering me over the head, you know, don't you think we deserve some money? Don't you think? You guys don't do that. You're just, and you've also built such a relationship with your listeners that I felt not um, like I had to. I, I wanted to. I was like, oh, well, I'm glad he reminded me of that. Bless you, Cindy. I <laughs> I really did. The fact that you said that at the podcast, you know, tell us if we're not doing it the right way. Well, I mean it, it, it reinforces the two-way street here. You told us, I'll never forget the story of your father, who was racist. What you learned from him was how to stand up for your beliefs, and that included to go out with someone of a different race. <sighs> Um, gosh, it's like it happened yesterday. Um, he was born and raised, I mean, deep south, 30s, 1930s Mississippi. He knew enough that intellectually that it was wrong, though, for him not to have ever used any of the, you know, the racist words growing up. That was an active decision on his part every day. I think that part of the, the thing that makes bias so sticky is, is not that people find it hard to see everybody as equal, but that when they don't, they're afraid to say so, so that they can get it out in the open mm. and see if the fear really can hold up. And that's all it is. To the exposure. Yeah. yeah. I was brought up in a very progressive family, but it just so happens I'd never seen a black person until I was uh, 14. Really? And the first black person I saw, I, my jaw just dropped. Really? And I was so ashamed. I said, I'm not supposed to behave this way. Mm. You're going to probably laugh at this, but the first time I met a Jewish person, <laughs> I was 18. We moved back from Iran to Potomac, Maryland, a very upper crusty area, and I didn't know what I mean, how do you reach the age of 18 and not know these things? But uh, How did you end up in Tehran? Were you in the Army, perhaps? We weren't military. My dad was a telecom consultant for the Shah, mm. and he had his own company over there. Mm -hmm. We were evacuated, actually, in, in late 78. You saw the fall of the Shah. We did. I mean, we saw tanks going up the street and, and houses being firebombed, and, you know, I was shot at. Oh, my God. What is that like, Cindy? Well, I... I know what adrenaline tastes like. <laughs> uh -huh. It does go straight to your throat. We knew that we were about to get evacuated. It was just coming down to it. It was getting very ugly. And so 
we all had a party, and we had lied to our parents. The girls told our parents that, you know, we were going to an all-girls slumber party. You know, the boys said the same thing. No, they're going to an all-boys slumber party. Mm-hmm. And we were all in our uh, late teens. Somebody got so drunk, they went running down the street screaming. And so, of course, a bunch of us went running down after her to bring her back. And we all came back together with the the military police running after us and shooting at us. Oh, my God. Because it was like 2 in the morning. Anybody doing anything after 9 o'clock, it was, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Mm. And at that point, they came into the house, and um, I was hiding on a window ledge. I mean, outside a house at 2 in the morning on a window ledge. Crazy. When did your family learn that this is oh, what oh, happened uh, to you? My mom learned about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you decided to wait a while before you, you broke give her a heart attack <laughs> a little later in life, yeah. Very considerate of you, kids, Cindy. I'm learning things about you kids I never wanted to know. Yeah. I have a 20-year-old son who's little by little leaking pieces of his own personal history that happened under my nose. How do you feel about it? You're like, well, I an idiot. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that he survived them. And, uh, I'm glad you know, to the point where he's sharing it with you. That says a lot about I'm your I'm very happy about that. Listen, I loved your story about the videotapes. You know, he wanted you to bring videotapes down to him at the store. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Where yes, he was working. Yes. And, and you were like, oh, well, like, you, know, you shouldn't be watching TV. You should, And you ended up bringing him your favorites. What a great way to get him to know you thanked in that story for it. It was my wife. Yeah. You know, the only smart thing that I did was I asked her advice. You know, I said, You asked her to marry you. That's a smart thing. <laughs> I made myself shamelessly available for years. <laughs> and she, she finally, finally said, roll that tongue back up in your head, you know, and okay, I'll marry you. <laughs> like the cartoon with the eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Cindy. Please stay in touch. We'll be in touch with you. I certainly will. Thanks for the call, Tony. Okay. Say hi to Gary for me. I sure will. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the delightful Cindy McCullough from Virginia. Delightful not just because she contributed, although she did. We'll be uh, playing bits of the conversations that we had with contributors in, in some of the podcasts to come. We invite you to visit our website at wgbh.org slash morningstories. You will find a link there to contribute if you want to, but you'll also find links to other things as well, including our Flickr page where you can see pictures of some of our contributors. Flickr.com slash photos slash WGBH Morning Stories. And we'll see you soon. Take care.